What's going on? It's time for another episode of Too Hard for the Radio. Transmitting from the future free state of Greater Idaho, I am the one-armed madman. And with me today, we've got Michael Anderson. Michael, how you doing? Great. How are you? Not too bad. When I uh, I had to look up when I saw your name, I was like, Michael Anderson, That's that's got a familiar ring to it. And I had to look up the name of Neo's character in The Matrix because I was thinking that was what you had going on there. Right on. Well, it's uh, it's good to have you. So I guess we're going to talk a little bit about history and politics today. Um, man, the last couple of years, I have just been so amazed with, with the way politics has gone. <laughs> I, I'm I'm so removed from the major parties, like on both sides at this point, that that it's hard to even see how how we can continue at this point. So uh, how do you how do you see this going down right now? Well, I, I think tribalism is the number one problem in our country, and I think anybody with you know any brain can see that because it's apparent all day, every day on the news, on social media, and everywhere. So. Um, and I agree with you. I'm, I mean, I'm a conservative by DNA, but more of a moderate politically. And I really hate extreme ideology because I think it ideology puts traps people. And once you're in the trap of your ideology, you have to follow it and you have no escape. I, I'm a practical person and I look at how can government solve problems for people and that's its job not to uh, process ideology. So, but I mean, we got here because the left is very aggressive about pursuing equality. Uh, The right is not because the right likes the system the way it is. And people on the right tend to just wanna live their lives. They don't wanna fight and create controversy all the time. They're happy with their lives. The left is, is obsessed with equality uh, hates capitalism and wants to change the system either semi-radically or put in socialism altogether. Sure. And I would say that they're not, they're, they're past equality at this point. They're onto equity. Like equality is, is a thing for the past. That was something that your grandparents argued about. We, we are, we are more, um, evolved than that. And we know that the, you know, marginalized people need a helping hand up. Otherwise, they're right. you know never going to be equal to us, and 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 it's it's crazy because usually these marginalized people who are non-equal are tend to be black, Mexican, you know, marginal like actual marginalized people, and and they they will argue straight to your face that they need help from us because they're just you know not equal to us, and the 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 fact that like they've gone from equality, everybody should be created equal we should all be create you know have this kumbaya attitude where where everything is is equal to like no we're we're completely beyond that and we need socialism otherwise this is just all going to go to hell well there's a strange irony here i mean you talked about minority groups and uh, disadvantaged groups there's actually more poor white people than all the other groups added together yeah and of course that group is ne- doesn't get any publicity at all uh, just like there are white men who were shot by police and killed, which gets no publicity either. Um, when I said equality, I meant, I mean, I'm speaking in general terms. Yeah, no, I I, I totally it. understood where you were right. going with it. I, I do. Right, right, right. So because, I mean, the, the left is, um, and, and we can get into this if you want, but one of the things that I study and talk about is the genetic differences between the right and left mm-hmm. and they are they are genetically different and their brains are different so it's not a case of well they you know people on the right grow up with a different attitude than people on the left it's not like that it's hardwired and it it's it was put in for a purpose when man was first developing there's a, a variation in behavior that developed that produced the right and left and it had to do with uh adapting to uh, heterogeneous ecosystems. Because when man came out of Africa into Europe, obviously hot days became cold days and you had winter, you had a totally different environment. And depending on where they traveled, food supplies were variable. 
So they could be in a location where food was plentiful and they could be in a location where there was no food and they had to hunt. And so people on the left were, are more, um, more interested in change. They like change and they like new things. And so they were the hunters and the people on the right were more status quo oriented, didn't necessarily like change, like tradition. And so they were happy managing a current food supply as opposed to looking for one. So that's sort of the basis for that. But the the left is um, always, well, it, it's really only since the Enlightenment, but the, but the left, because before the Enlightenment, the left had no power in government. Correct. Government was run by conservatives because, you know, conservatives like loyalty and authority and that kind of stuff. So conservatives would be all had would lead societies for thousands of years. And the left really had no position in society because people didn't have any rights. It wasn't until the Enlightenment that rights started to open up for individuals that they had a um, a situation that they could become involved in. And I'm not, you know, the progressive movement did a lot of great things in the United States during the 1800s. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, people were exploited, children worked jobs 12 hours a day, politics was corrupt and all that. It was all bad during the Gilded Age. And they helped change all that. But that was a much different time than where we are today. Yeah. You know, I think a great example of that in action is the show Yellowstone. Uh, you know, th- yeah. people love it and they don't understand why they love it. And the New York Times right. doesn't understand why everybody loves it because it's just this terrible, disgusting way of life that they can't stand. And they've been telling you for me and you for 30 years that this is not the way to do it, that this was the old way of doing things. And we need to evolve, move past killing animals and, and uh, you know, private property and all of these things that our country and our values have been built on. And yeah, the left just can't understand for the life of them why people like that show because they've been telling you that it's bad for so long and they just don't understand why we're not listening, you know? Right, right. Um, Well, that, you know, one of the biggest problems in all this tribalism thing is the left's desire to remove all the traditions of our country. Correct. So the, all the things that the country was built on, family, community, religion, and all that stuff, they want to change because you can't change the society unless you get rid of traditions. I mean, it's basically the communist playbook. Absolutely. So, so and one of the unfortunate things about this to me is that they're liberals on the left who are not progressive, who do, do not have extreme ideology, but they're, they're sitting on their hands while the progressives do their thing. Yeah. And I think that's basically they're aligning themselves with socialists by default. Yeah. Because liberals could reach consensus with Republicans, with conservatives, because liberals believe in in, in if you do, if you look at surveys, they believe in consensus. Mm-hmm. They believe in talking to the other side. Progressives don't. So the li- liberals are really, to me, one of the keys to trying to get out of tribalism. Yeah. And we got to get out of it because the government is moving nowhere. I mean, it, it's stuck. Yeah. The only thing well, the liberals really understand is power. They look at everything through right. power and, and how do we, you know, take over the system and, and gain power so we can get to our ends. You know, it's it's interesting like how much socialism and communism have crept into our society. So I grew up in Northern California, very conservative area. Cloverdale is the town it was called in. I'm 100 miles north of San Francisco. We didn't have a fast food restaurant until I was like 15. We finally got a McDonald's. Like very, you know, farm oriented, growing a lot of grapes, animals. We rode dirt bikes, you know, just, yeah. we had traditional conservative values. We didn't like look at politics at all. I didn't understand anything about politics. Till I was 30 years old, but to see how it's changed now, my mother just went back and visited some people there, our, our family. And we've been bugging these people. You got to get out of California. We moved to Idaho, me and my mother and 
my grandmother, we all moved to Idaho. I got here eight years ago and we've been just telling everybody, you got to get out of there, come back up here. This is great here. And this person who I grew up with told me, you know, it's taken me a long time to figure this out, but it takes a village to raise children. Right. And she goes, you know, it's, it's the church, it's the schools. Like we need this group around us to be able to raise our kids. And it was just like, oh my God, there is nothing I can do for you at this point. There's just nothing. And it's sad. Yep. Well, I mentioned the uh, left's obsession with equality. The other thing they're obsessed with is they're the only ones smart enough to run the country. Yes. Uh, and so they ha- you know, put us in control and we'll use science and technology and equations to run everything. And I don't know if you know about this, but during the New Deal period, um, in, uh, that was the first time in, in our country's history that economists became a big deal. There were a lot of academic economists, but they started to be used by the government as experts. So um, they actually put together a, uh, a program called the um, the National um, Industrial Act, which passed. And basically, the idea was they were going to control all the corporations in the United States from Washington, and each corporation would be assigned a code designated their type of business, and the code dictated uh, how much markup they could charge on their the cost of their product and uh how much revenue they could make and if you can just imagine i mean i'm sure you can how that could possibly work i mean i can't believe that anybody thought it would yeah and it it lasted a year and the supreme court threw it out because they said it's unconstitutional but it never really worked anyway Yeah. There's a great book called The Politically Incorrect Guide to American History by Tom Woods, who really got into this deep. And one of the most interesting things to me about the New Deal was like in in high school, when you're taught about it, it's like, hey, we had this horrible financial system that was not our fault at all. It just happens because that's a function of capitalism. We have these boom and bust cycles. And then we had this great guy come in, you know, Franklin... Roosevelt and and save everybody with, with this amazing new deal. And when you really read into it, like they were burning food and killing livestock to, because prices were too low, like, Oh, prices are too low. Our farmers are are losing money. So we're going to kill millions of pigs and burn millions and millions of acres of wheat in order to stabilize prices. And of course that worked great. (laughs) Right. Right. And the irony of the left and the New Deal is halfway through, I think, um, Roosevelt's second term, he abandoned the progressives in favor of corporations. Yeah. Because he needed corporations to implement the New Deal. And and the progressives obviously couldn't help with that. So the progressives, like, got, they were on the outside, and they got aligned with communists, and then when World War II happened and after World War II, when the Cold War started, progressives were, you know, chased and ridiculed. And of course, the whole McCarthy thing was about communists and the progressive movement. Progressives ran a candidate for president in 48, but then they died away until the 60s. Yeah. What do they say? Scratch a progressive and uncover a fascist? You know, like that's kind of how these people work. They, well, I, I would say a socialist more. Yeah, that 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 right. would work. Either one would work. A socialist, a communist, right. a fascist. They they do whatever they can in order to amass power. You know, one of the things you said about this earlier that that always bugs me about politics now is they. I, I'm an anarchist, so I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I believe in in voluntary interactions and free markets, and I don't believe that we need government to to keep everything in line. Most people would think that's that's an extremist way of thinking. I I disagree with that. I think that right now the moderates and the progressives and the the conservatives those are the real extremists right now. You've got some good people on either side on the fringes, but like. These people are are killing killing and slaughtering people all over the globe. They're they're printing. I I just saw that that uh, Mike Johnson made a deal for a one point seven trillion dollar bill, and he goes, you know what? But look, 
Now that we've got this done, we can go and argue for the things that we want to argue for. Right. And it's like, my gosh, you're, you're destroying our currency. You're robbing from future generations, kids. Like I have an 11 year old brother right now. And I told him the other day, I was like, you know, your kids are already in debt. Right. And he's just like, what does that even mean? And it's like, yeah, how, how is that even possible? But it is, you know? Yep. Um, and that's another thing about the progressives. They love to spend money mm-hmm. it, like there's no tomorrow. Like there is no limit to uh, what they'll spend money for. The conservatives trying to con- try to control that because they're more money conscious. But lately, not really. After the, after the Bush period, the Republicans started spending a lot of money too. So they that's why there's this big rift in the Republican Party because they're traditional Republicans who are conservative or fiscally conservative. And then there's the other group. Yeah. You've got mm-hmm. a Thomas Massey who's wearing a debt ceiling pin where he's got the, right. the national debt going up every second on his jacket every day. And then you've got a Mike Johnson who's, Hey, let's, let's just print another $1.7 trillion. And those are considered by like corporate press, corporate media, the left. Those are the same guy. They're just an evil Republican where in reality, like Mike Johnson is far closer to a, you know, a, a, a progressive than he is a traditional conservative. Yet maybe they, they you know, don't like wokeism. But essentially, there's not much difference between these major party figures. You know, I, I read an article about him the other day where he, they him and 63 other senators or, or rep- congressmen went down to the border to complain. And I thought about that for a second. I go, okay, so 64 congressmen, that means we've got $120 million dollars about 15 total jobs and, uh, you know, no, no, like no integrity among these people. And, and they go down to complain, do nothing really. Like you could see it on TV. They're showing it on TV every day. Do we really have to go down there and complain? It it, it drives me nuts that. Well, they're, they're just trying to get attention to it because nobody, the left is not doing anything about the, border and it what's happening is crazy there should be some kind of cap on immigration um so they go down there so that it gets publicity because i mean the left controls the media yeah so the only way conservatives can get any uh press is to do things and be photographed yeah doing them and you know this is the border has really gotten onto my nerves lately. Like I agree with you. Like the whole thing is a, is a joke and a disaster, but like, if we want to talk tribalism, both sides right now are using the border as a tribalist way to, to gin their base up. So on the Republican side, you go, they're letting in terrorists and they're setting up terror cells and they're going to attack us. You know, the same thing they said after nine 11, that never happened. You know, I, I lived in San Francisco in 2015 and they were still doing the color-coded days back then. When in 14 years, zero attacks happened, but we'd still, I'd get to Pier 39, and they go, it's an orange day. It's a yellow day. Oh, it's a red day. You don't have to come in today if you don't want to. And uh, <laughs> and then you've well, got and then you've got the liberals who are like, hey, I heard um, Al Gore say this the other day. If you guys are scared of the border now, just wait until we get a billion climate refugees coming over here. So don't you better start spending money on climate change now if you want to fix this border problem. It's just disgusting. Uh, it's very unfortunate that the conservatives are acting out of character because of tribalism, but they've been sucked into, I mean, what can you do, basically? Um, it takes two not, to tango, right? Don't, they don't like to go to battle unless... You threaten them where they live, and I mean, abortion was an issue like that, or threaten their religion, like like the left is doing. But they end up playing the same game. It's all a publicity game. Yeah, and so, I would, I, mean, I would agree with that, and also disagree. Like you've got some conservatives who are like, "Hey, we're going to protect the homeland, and we're going to stop these pointless wars." But then you've got other guys who are all in on Ukraine all in on this war with Israel or Gaza, however you feel about that. Like we do not have the money to fight two fronts, a two front war right now. We don't have the, you know, the military capabilities. People aren't signing up for the military right now. In my opinion, that's a good thing. I, I think we could do with a lot less people in the military. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm sick of seeing these kids sent over to die 
for things that really pose zero danger to us. You know, with, with Putin, it's like, he's, he's a crazy dictator. And also he's going to take over all of Europe, but at the same time, he can't win in Western Ukraine. So it's like, what is, what is really happening? Yeah. It's, I'm very confused by the Biden's foreign policy because, um, first of all, I think we've given Ukraine enough money. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, it isn't a bottomless pit and why, the Democrats are so committed to Ukraine. I'm not sure the the right is getting less enthused about it and and not as willing to spend money. But you know, if you look at all American history, Republicans are always the defense party. You know, they like having a strong defense and all that stuff, and and be engaged in foreign policy. Historically, the the Democrats have hated foreign policy because they want the government focused on domestic policy. They want programs for America's people not messing around in Europe or something. So now we have, it's upside down. And I don't, I don't quite get the angle unless Biden is trying to look strong or something. Not I don't sure think he knows what he's that. doing. I don't think he has any right. like say in what's going on. It's just people around him. you know. And I'll, I'll tell you right now exactly why they're so hell-bent on this Russia this war with Russia is because they've been the the entire left and a good portion of the conservatives have been living in a in a in a in a Russian spy novel. It's a Tom Clancy novel for them for the past six years. It's we've got this evil dictator Trump who's secretly in line with Putin and they're going to destroy our democracy and who knows whatever else. So when he actually does do something wrong and immoral, they have to stand up for him because they've been screaming that this is the major danger for the past six years. So they can't exactly like backtrack and go, yeah, I know we've been telling you that this guy is the reincarnate of, of the devil for the past six years, but don't worry what he's doing about, you know, over there in Ukraine, which is a corrupt country that, you know, we've been meddling around in their politics for the past 10 years. So I I think that has a lot to do with it. There are some areas where Biden is acting weak. He's acting very weak about Iran. Like he's trying to get, some kind of deal going with them, and he's afraid to offend them. And this Houthi group from Yemen who is trying to shoot at merchant ships in the Red Sea, uh, they need a good bombing. Mm. Uh, They need to be attacked. And we've said 28 times so far, you know, if you don't quit, we're going to attack you. And it's it's crazy. I mean, it's like people don't listen to threats if they're terrorist organizations. So, you know, I don't know how I feel about that one. I haven't looked into this thing in the Red Sea too much, but I do know that we've got military bases in Yemen that shouldn't be there and that we've been essentially like supporting a Saudi Arabian genocide of that entire country for the past 10 years. So I'm not surprised. I'm not saying that I think they should be attacking ships, but I'm not surprised. Like we, it, it, it still surprises me that people are surprised when there's blowback from our foreign policy decisions. You know, Iran, right. we've been screaming that they're five, you know, five months or six months away from a nuclear bomb for the past 15 years, and that still hasn't happened. So there's been a lot of saber, saber rattling going on with them. I think with all of these, you know, regimes that, like Iran, it's, it's a disgusting, horrible author, authoritarian regime, and I don't think we should be doing deals with them at all. And I right. think we should, you know, be be saying, hey, look, if, if our citizens want to trade with you, you know, that's that's their prerogative. We're not going to get into yep. capitalism, you know, decisions when regarding capitalism, but we're not doing deals with you while you're doing A, B and C. It's just not going to happen. We can get our oil elsewhere. You you know, you're the first anarchist I ever met. This oh, really? Pretty interesting. Good. Uh, Good. Do you know who the father of anarchism is? Um, I know a lot of you know, early anarchists well, who, who, who created it. Oh, well, I would argue that it was the original system that nobody created before governments, you know, came in and, okay. and decided this is what right, we were going to do. Who was the great proponent in the 19th century? Oh, I would say uh, probably Murray Rothbard was a big one. Um, Ludwig von Mises Mikhail was big. Bakunin. Oh, yeah, Makunin. He was a little bit more on the, the left end of yeah. not quite in my axis of anarchism. Right, right, right. But yeah, very... I've I've read some of those essays. Very interesting. You know, there's a book called The Anarchist Handbook that has essays from Murray Rothbard and I think Mises might be in there. Um, Emma Goldman, um, a couple other guys. Uh, what was it? 
Louis Ling, he was an interesting one. He was um, in the early 1900s, maybe his late 1800s. He got arrested for making bombs or for bombing something like some, some bomb went off and killed a bunch of people and he was arrested for it. And his legal defense was, it couldn't have been me. I was at home building bombs. <laughs> and it's just, he ended up blowing his, his jaw off with a, um, a shotgun shell in his cell and wrote long live anarchism on the wall. And however you feel about the philosophy, whether it's, you know, flawed or immoral or however you feel about it there's something very powerful about people willing to die for their beliefs and i've always found well, that compelling I mean, anarchism itself has a bad name but like in bakunin's version is not well the bad name is that uh these people want to blow up everything and yeah. destroy society. but that's chaos but, not anarchism anarchism right, means right. without government not without rules right yeah, yeah i what Bakunin preached was that there would be organizations who would make decisions about policy of the government, the small organizations, not bureaucracies. Yeah. So it's like a night watchman state. Right. Yeah. Which, which I, I like, I'm not a minarchist. I'm an anarchist, but I, I would totally go for a night watchman state. That would be perfectly fine with me. I'll settle for that. <laughs> right. So and there's a, I mean, you're sort of akin to libertarian, aren't you? Oh yeah. No, I call myself a libertarian most of the time. Like uh, right. until like recently, my dog's going nuts right now and I can't m mute myself, but uh, until recently the libertarian party was, has just been a disgusting, you know, infiltration of, 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 uh, progressives. It, it hasn't, I mean, Gary Johnson was just the most, most pathetic, ridiculous, you know, presidential candidate of my lifetime mm -hmm. in an, in an, in a year where a third party was so important was like the best year for a third party candidate. They put out the worst possible guy they could. So in the like last year, year and a half, the, the, um, libertarian party is under new management. And I think that we're going to see some good things from them in the years to come. We're, we're running a guy right now named Michael Rechtenwald, who is a former NYU professor who got fired for not being woke enough. And he was a former communist who kind of saw the light and now is an anarchist. He's a very interesting character. Not a ton of um, charisma, but very smart. There's a lot of roads we could go down with this conversation. Wherever you want. One, and specifically, I'm referring to the fact that the uh, jury is rigged for the two parties. I mean, what what there's so much happening in the... American society now that would could use and would use a third party mm -hmm. because there's I mean the the Trump the Trump loyalists have him because there's nobody else mm -hmm. and they're gonna have to find somebody else when after he's done yeah but that there is no I mean it, the Kennedy story is interesting I don't know how far he's gonna get whether he's gonna get to the final uh, vote in November but he if he does he'll do damage because there's a lot of democrats that i mean with him you understand exactly what he believes yeah. he's a kennedy so if you know what the kennedys believe and it's a long way from the progressives yes i mean you you'd almost call the kennedys republicans at this point yeah if you if you look at where they were compared to where conservatives are now yeah yeah it, it's it's very interesting to see the way the political you know compass kind of turns right like people who yeah. were were liberals a while back are now calling themselves conservatives there's guys like dave rubin who i'm not a fan yeah. of who you know is essentially just a liberal who didn't like woke stuff and is like well now i'm a conservative and i don't think that bodes well for the conservative movement because it, like you don't really have conservative values you just don't like this aspect of of the liberals essentially right. and it kind of like moves the Overton window. So like one thing that I find very interesting is like, I don't know how much you know about Elon Musk, but like Elon Musk lives off of, of, you know, tax dollars, all of his major companies get massive tax breaks. And until a couple of years ago, he was a proponent of um, universal basic income. So this guy who until a few years ago was basically a socialist buys right. Twitter and says, I like free speech. And now this you know, 
socialist billionaire is now right wing. And I think that's very useful for the liberals and the progressives to go like, oh, look at this evil right winger, because now that window that like of what actually is right and left just keeps moving further and further and further until like, what are you going to have left as a conservative? Not much. Right. But conservatives have always fought since the very beginning the fact that they don't really have an ideology. I mean, their ideology is tradition and the status quo. And during the 60s, when Bill Buckley was operating, he actually rebuilt, well, built a conservative ideology, which then led to Goldwater and Reagan, and basically built it by com combining traditional conservatives with libertarians and anti-communists. So those three groups together, which had very different interests, all were willing to operate under the Republican tent. But that only lasted 10 or 20 years, and then the neocons came yeah. and whatever. So Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever is but, right. <laughs> but, there, but there are, you know, some great conservative minds in history that have ridiculed conservatives as a group for having no ideology. And, of course, the only ideology the left has is a socialist ideology. So it's there we are. Yeah, which is kind of why I... I really enjoy anarchism and, and libertarian philosophy is because it doesn't really tell you how to live your life. It tells you like, this is how you should structure your society and how you should structure your life. But living it is up to you. Like if you want to have traditional conservative lifestyles in the church, knock yourself out. If you want to be a pot smoking hippie that lives in San Francisco, that's fine too. And I, I like that idea to where you're not like, as a progressive, you're kind of pigeonholed. It's like, well, if I'm going to call myself a progressive, I have to believe A, B, and C. Otherwise, I'm out. You know, they're just going to push me off to the side and call me a, a conservative or, or whatever. So you kind of have to be in that camp. But as a, as a libertarian, you can have any type of lifestyle you want as long as you're acting morally and you're not, you know, aggressing on innocent people. That's another difficult irony that progressives are only 7% of the population. Wow. And, and so they have such an outsized influence over the country because they've infiltrated higher ed, traditional media, and then social media. So they have control of the airwaves. Yeah. I, I just got done with a uh, two-year degree out of, um, it's called College of Western Idaho. It's just a small little college. And I was amazed. So I did a couple years in at San Francisco City College in like 2012-ish. And at that time, the big argument that we were having, I took a, um, a feminist English course because I, I didn't sign up for my classes in time. And it was the only English class I could get into. And at the time, like I was so ignorant that I didn't even know what feminism was. It was just like, okay, here's an English class about women, whatever. And like the big argument we were having in the classroom was, is beauty a social construct? Like, is is the Victoria's Secret model, like, is that actual beautiful? Or is the fat lady sitting next to you on the bus what beauty actually is? And my argument at the time was like, it doesn't matter what the eye of beauty is. It's like one is physically healthy and the other is not. Like, and I got into this big argument with this big like 300 pound girl in the class and we just went at it and the teacher led us and like looking back on it it was a very interesting class it was one of the most interesting classes I took in my time in college because we were actually debating things so when I started in Idaho I was thinking okay this is going to be much different than what I did in San Francisco like we live in a conservative area like the teachers are probably going to be more conservative and I think I'm going to have a little bit like I'll, I'll probably learn a little bit more doing a degree here than I would have in San Francisco, but I was completely wrong. Not only was it that not the case, but we were further left by a massive amount than I was in San Francisco in 2012. So to think that Surprising. we have gone like we are more progressive, more liberal in 2023 Idaho than 2012 San Francisco just blew my mind. It, it was really nuts. Like I had a teacher at one point, um, this guy really bugged me. It was like a, 
the question in the class was, what is a big question that you had coming into school and what is a big question you would have now? And this guy was like, well, my original question was, is Christianity a cult? And I still have that question. And that just really bothers me. I hate that like just midwit attitude of, of, of like comparing Christianity to a cult because it's something that every 14 year old does and then gets, you know, slapped around by an adult and then abandons immediately. And I go, you know, what about climate change? Like if we're talking about cults, like, and I just, all of these, all of these examples of cult behavior and climate change, it was a nice, it was a very thought out and thoughtful post. It wasn't like rude or anything like that. And the teacher goes and interjects into the forum and goes, I almost never do this, but I, after reading this post, I have to remind the class that's that climate change is scientifically proven fact and 99% of all, and just the whole thing and had to go down. When you're posting in here, you have to be mindful of what is true and what is not and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, so you have zero problem with this guy calling 40% of our country cult members, but it is so wrong for me to compare climate change to a cult that you have to actually interject as if you're a student and kind of like slap me on the hand and say, no, you can't talk that way in school. It was wild. So you're talking about the school being progressive, right? Yeah. And the students and the students like teachers and students. Not the lifestyle there. Just the school. Yep. Right. Yep. Just the school. And it was, it was mind blowing to me. I was like, wow, I cannot believe that. Like, even in this area, the teachers were no different. They were exactly the same as you would have gotten in San Francisco. Almost none of them were from here. They were all from, from different places. I did a geology class that was all about energy. And I was a lineman before, I think I told you earlier, I was a lineman before I got hurt. So I know energy very well. Like energy is my thing. And going through this geology class, like just major inconsistencies and just just being completely wrong about multiple things. But in the class, there was almost zero opportunity for me to voice my opinion. It was watch this video and answer the questions on the video. And you just couldn't interject and say, that's not true. This is wrong. At one of the big things they say, and Elon Musk says this, is we could just build, we could build all of Utah or all of, of Texas into solar panels and power the entire country, but these evil oil execs won't let it happen. And as a lineman, I know that's bullshit. Like transmission lines, A, are millions of dollars per mile at this point. Our grid is just destroyed and in absolute disarray. It needs to be completely rebuilt. We don't have the people to build the power lines. Our, our, when I was in school, we were 50% of the entire electrical industry was 10 years away from retirement. Now we're even close, like it's even worse now. And they admit this in their own writings. I have a book called The Grid. It's a Bill Gates recommendation where they say this. So they'll admit it in your own writing, but they'll still beat you over the head and call us the 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 idiots or or the you know uneducated public that just doesn't know what's good for them and it's just gonna kill us and and you know what when when our power grid is is destroyed and we can't give you enough energy for your electric car what who are we gonna blame not the power companies not the government for making these terrible decisions we're gonna blame you the normal conservative who doesn't want green energy and it's just disgusting Sorry, I kind of went crazy there. Okay. You're allowed. Yeah. It's my show, I guess, right? <laughs> sure. But but the the thing about climate change to me, is, I, first of all, I don't think there's a consensus. Uh, I signed a petition, one of 1,850 academics and Nobel Prize winners around the world saying it was baloney. Yeah. Not baloney, but... It's not proven that man caused it, and it's also not proven that we can fix it. Now, that is not to say that sustainability isn't a good idea. Sure. I think we should move in that direction, but you can only move at the pace that is economically feasible. You know, I've said for 40, I have an engineering degree undergrad, and I've said for 40 years when Gas, when you have some kind of power solution that's cheaper than gas, it'll take over. Yep. As long as gas is cheaper, it won't take over. 
Yep. So, I mean, it's very simple because you're not going to get people to spend more money doing A because you think it's good for them to do than B if B is cheaper. Yeah. You can't force capitalism. Like it's, it's just going to happen at its own space. And I'm a big nuclear guy, you know, and, and the, the lies that we're told about nuclear energy are just unbelievable. You know, uh, the, the the radiation is going to last forever. It's going to poison everything. We can't store it. It's just crazy. Like in reality, like we're going to be able to use all of that nuclear waste as fuel a hundred years from now because we're going to figure out how to run these reactors better. And like they want to tell you, oh, these 1950s reactors, oh, they're so dangerous and they were just so bad. We had to get rid of them, but we've got this new technology. And again, that's BS. Like you're of of the age where you know that these 1950s engineers were very smart people and they did not mess these things up. Like these reactors work just fine. They destroyed the nuclear reactor themselves. They said, Hey, look, these things are dangerous, but guess what? We've got the parts to fix it. So just give us the money. We'll fix it. We'll make this better deal. And it's again, like you were saying earlier with the public intellectuals where these intellectuals, like great Thomas soul wrote a book on this, like, Public intellectuals create a problem that only that where the only solution is giving them more money. So it's just this perpetual wheel of fuckery is what I call it, where it's just give us money so we can make more mistakes and have more money. It's just this circle of fuckery. Well, this whole thing about climate, I mean, when you think about it, uh, entrepreneurs look at all the money that's being put in climate and that they are very vocal about that it's it's an emergency and we have to do it because that they enrich themselves when they do that. So they join in on the publicity because they have an ulterior motive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've got this department in, in A, B, or C college, and we're studying this aspect of climate change, and we have the only models that can really study this aspect. So without a couple million dollars, we're not really going to be able to do it. So let's get the, this couple million bucks. And then, Hey, you know what? Why don't we just raise the tuition at the school? That'll help. You know, we'll get some more money here. And you know what? We also need a new building to study this in because wouldn't you know what? The computers in this building are too old and they need to be upgraded. So let's build a whole new computer lab. We'll need a couple million bucks for that as well. Yeah, man, these people are dirty. It's the same thing with COVID. Like I, I signed a, a, the Great Barrington Declaration in COVID where it was like- I signed that too. Yeah, where all of these- brilliant doctors from incredible schools are all going, Hey, this is wrong. Not only is it wrong, but it's dangerous and stupid. And those people were treated like they were quacks. Well, you heard what Fauci, you hear what Fauci said yesterday. Yeah. He, oh, the six foot thing. Uh, we just made that up. And he also said that he has not seen evidence to suggest that childhood learning was impacted by digital school. By online school he goes out we haven't seen that it's like there's been multiple studies that have shown that like and, and just ask any parent what was your kid doing on on their homeschool they were playing video games like right. they were playing video games and these people did themselves such a, a massive disservice like my when i was a high school when i was in high school like i said earlier like we didn't know anything about politics we didn't know anything about anything we went to dirt bike races and and my parents worked like that was our life and it was great. And at one point, like we got fed up with my school. My high school was like, didn't like me racing dirt bikes. I was a good athlete. So they wanted me playing sports, not riding dirt bikes. They hated that I was missing school on Fridays and Mondays to go to these dirt bike races. And finally, we just got fed up with these teachers making my life miserable. Like I had, and, and we go, you know what? My parents go in and go, you know what? We want to put them on homeschool. And, and the school goes, nope, you can't do that. That's not a valid reason. And my parents went, well, we tried. And that was it, you know? And now, like, my, my, my mother's a lot older and her and her husband know what's going on in the world. And after COVID, they were like, no more. Like, our 11-year-old is in homeschool from now on. Like, this is not happening. And well, it's- I'm, I'm never going to participate again. I'm ne- I've had- uh, the two shots and two boosters of Pfizer. I'm never going to have another shot because I don't want to mess with an MRA, mRNA uh, vaccine. Uh, I don't trust the government and I'm not going to wear a mask. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to do it. They can put me in jail. Yeah. I, I was at the pharmacy the other day just picking up meds, and there was this woman in there who was in her late 20s, early 30s. She had rubber gloves, double mask. She had a hat with her hair tucked in, and she had her pants tucked into her socks. And she was well, she's, there getting she's mentally unstable. Yeah. And That's she's different. there getting multiple vaccines. And it's just like, you know, like you said, mentally unstable. If you're that scared, just stay home. Just stay yeah. home. Like, we don't need you. You can find a job. You can whatever. Just do it from your house. I think Howard Stern, you know, he hasn't left his house in years at this point. He just has like a bunker in his basement. And now he's really sick with COVID again. Like he's had all the shots. And again, really sick. And just people like, you know, I, I feel terrible for people like you who took the first couple shots because they did such a great job of beating you over the head. Oh, it's safe and effective. If you don't get it, you're going to die. And luckily for me, like I, you couldn't have paid me to put that stuff in my body. But like at this point, like I heard somebody, I don't remember who was saying it, but it was a great observation. Like I don't have anything against that crazy woman in, in, in the, you know, even though like she would not allow me to be in polite society if she had her way, if she watched one hour of my podcast, she'd go, oh, this is a terrible person. We can't have him in polite society. I get that. I I am not angry at her for doing that. I feel terrible. I feel bad because she was a victim of the PSYOP. She, her, her brain was turned into mush. Maybe she was a, a, an OCD or weird person. Like when I lived in San Francisco, one of my roommates wouldn't touch the remote. He had to have like a, a paper towel and he would wash his hands five, 10 times a day to the point where they were like raw and red. I can't imagine how that person dealt with COVID. And just, people crack me up because they don't realize there's millions of germs everywhere. Like on your keyboard, on your desk, yeah. on the floor, everywhere. So yeah. like running around with spray and trying to clean everything, it's crazy. Yeah. And like for me as a motocross racer, I, I'm like, I'm scared of massive injuries and like getting, you know, in massive car. You tell me this obscure little germ that's out there. I'm like, yeah, whatever. One of the funniest things during the pandemic was like in one of the first weeks, some, some doctor got on YouTube and he put a mask on and he did this. And you just saw that it go all out through the mask. And he goes, these vapor particles are like orders of magnitude larger than any virus. Like, if right. this goes through, it, they're not stopping. And and as a con and like as a construction worker, that like you're not allowed to wear a mask. And I worked at a at a winery, and we had to clean out these big industrial drums that were you know crushers for these grapes. And you would go in and you would spray it, spray them out with power washers every night. And if you tried wearing a mask in there, they would fire you. Because it's just a health hazard. Like you're in an area that is already high of CO2. Like we had to have like fans going in and out of them. So your CO2 buildup is already high. If you put a mask on, you're just asking to pass out. I couldn't believe it. Right. Well, Fauci told us, uh, get the shot and don't get the disease, right? Right. It, it, they, they still, like Rachel Maddow, Still has a tweet right. up saying that same, if you get the, it stops the virus. It kills the virus. It can't spread to somebody else. Why wouldn't you get it? Are you stupid? And it's like, that's still up. Nobody cares. I, I live in, I live in a condo community. There's 118 condos here. And, um, several of the residents are completely vaccinated and have had it three or four times after their vaccinations were complete. It's crazy. They don't, they don't get serious. I mean, they're not high risk, you know, serious heart problems or anything. They're normal people, but yeah. they're still, they still keep getting COVID. Yeah. And so, and this is what drives me nuts about, about progressives and liberals too. So like, it's all about marginalized people, marginalized voices need to be lifted up because they're already kept down by these evil white males. And, uh, so for me, like it took me a couple weeks to realize that I'm the person that everybody's trying to save. Like I am a high risk person. I stay in at my house a lot. Like I don't have a great immune system. I've had massive, massive injuries. Like I'm a high risk person. So at one point I, I went on Facebook and I was like, I am a high risk individual and I don't give a fuck if you wear a mask. 
And like my friends from San Francisco were like, this is stupid. You're an idiot. What do you know? Like you live out in a cow pasture. And it's like, guys, I live in a, in a valley with a million people. I sit in traffic every day, just like you do. Like I don't live in a field and they just think that these people like us, oh, you just live in fields. There's podunk morons who don't know what's best for them. And, and, and we got to, you know, make decisions. Otherwise they're just going to overrun the hospitals. It was insane to me that you can go from like being a marginalized person to, yeah, well, not really in this situation. If it doesn't, if you're not, you know, towing the line, if I towed the line, everybody had been like, oh, you're so brave. You're so brave, but I don't. And I'm a crazy lunatic. Like I have actual friends who I haven't changed. I've been the same person my entire life. Like I've learned a little bit more about the world around me in the past few years, but like I was the same guy when I lived in, in, in Northern or in, in San Francisco, I owned guns. Like I raced dirt bikes. I rode a dirt bike through town every day. And these people will literally tell you like, oh yeah, he just went crazy. He got hurt and moved and went crazy. Like, I don't know what's wrong with him. Nothing about me has changed. At one point I got into it with my buddy who was saying everybody should have to wear a mask in public. I go, dude, do you live in San Francisco? Like you have a, a lawn on a public street. So are you saying that I have to wear my mask while I'm mowing my lawn because somebody might walk by me and you just see them go, well, yeah, that is kind of messed up. And it's like, yeah, like let's extrapolate this to a larger, you know, degree. And it, it just in one ear and out the other. Well, the other thing about the COVID epidemic is the damage it caused society. And that was never taken into consideration. The conservatives realized that was happening before the left did. So they opened up earlier. Uh, I don't get what California did. I mean, it just, I mean, the, the incidence of suicide, incidence of family problems, drug addiction, beatings, alcoholism, uh, maladjusted kids who didn't learn, uh, all of those uh, diseases went crazy because of the lockdowns. Yeah. And to me that, I mean, letting be allowing people to live in society as they normally would is more important than the disease. Yeah. Basically. And I don't isolate the people who are high risk and everybody else. Look what Sweden did. Yeah. They never locked down. Yeah. Tom Woods did a a quiz. He made this quiz where it was like, okay, here's a, here's a graph of masks in one state versus another state, which one like, you know, had these regulations and which one had, and nobody has ever passed the quiz because you can't, because there's just no way, like, it's, it's ridiculous. And yeah, like places like Sweden and, and South Dakota just get waved off the side of the board. You know, it's like, oh yeah, well, those are different populations, Maybe, you know, whatever. We can't take that into real consideration. It, it's wild. Yeah. Oh, And you know, right, right now, I don't know about you, but like half the people I know are sick as hell. I've got one friend whose mother has been in bed for a week and a half. Are you hearing anything on the news about vaccination rates or, 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 you know, COVID, uh, you know, hospitalization rates? No, because the psyops over, they know that they lost at this point. Like they can't, well, they have, they have been reporting flu numbers. Oh yeah. Cause high. the flu exists again, you know, right. all throughout COVID, the flu just didn't exist anymore. <laughs> well, I think it existed, but they called it yeah, COVID. Exactly. I mean, you probably know this, but hospitals got paid extra money from the federal government if the patient was diagnosed with COVID or died of it. So yeah. you call everything COVID. Yeah. You know, I got so kicked- the numbers, you know, there might be 40% inflation in the number of deaths in this country. Oh yeah. Dude, the, the, like the mortality rate in this country is going down for the first time in like 60 years or something like that. It's crazy. So I, I, a couple weeks ago, I had a doctor's appointment And I got kicked out of this doctor's office forever. Now I'm banned for life. And the reasoning was, is that I had a history of being argumentative with the staff. And what was that history you might ask? Well, a couple months prior to that, they started asking me these questions. Uh, Have you traveled in the last month? Have you been in contact with anybody who's had COVID in the last month? Have you been vaccinated in the last month? And you wouldn't answer. And I wouldn't answer. And get this. 
It was a phone appointment. It wasn't even an in-person appointment. They were doing this over the phone. And I go, no, hey, I look, guys, I think this is a violation of my privacy. And I and I refuse to answer those questions. They go, well, you have to answer. Go, what do you mean I have to answer? I don't have to do anything. Like, this is out of this is out of control. And and like I said, kicked out for life, banned for life because I you know would not tell them. Is? Yeah. Huh? No, go you ahead. Know what get? Gadfly is? Uh, yes. Uh, that's the one that kind of burrows under your skin, right? No. Well, gadfly is a person who's always causing trouble. Oh. And so so you, I, I'm putting you in that category. Oh, yeah. I'm a troublemaker for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to pick my battles now. I used to, when I was young, if something peeved me or if I felt something was wrong in any way, I couldn't bite my tongue. Like me and my grandfather still have a terrible relationship to this day because of that. I've just always been the the kind of guy who can't shut up when I should. (laughs) And I've gotten better at it, but man, like it's tough. I still like, I'll go through situations and then afterwards I'll kind of take an inventory on, on what happened and why I think it happened and what I could have done better in the situation. I go, okay, the next time I get into a situation like this, I'm going to calm down and I'm going to do a, B and C. And then it happens again. And it's like, nah, all that crap's just out the window. I remember I heard a story a couple, it was probably a year ago now where this father in Oregon took his son to the doctor because he was having some sort of like mental breakdown essentially. So they take him into the hospital. They do like a, a, you know, 48 hour hold or something like that. They come back and the doctor comes in and goes, all right, there's, there's good news and bad news. Like the bad news is, is that your, you know, your, your daughter is having a really tough time right now. And the good news is, is we have this gender clinic that they can go to that that's going to really improve her life as you know. And as long as you guys learn about what it is to have a transgender child, everything's going to be okay. And the dad goes, oh, I'm so relieved. Like, this was a real weight off. Like, thank you so much. Give us the give us the address to the doctor. We're going to make an appointment right now. Like, this is such a relief. Like, we thought that something serious was wrong. But, you know, this is just a minor thing. And, and you know, there's tons of kids going through that. And then the next day, the guy moved to Idaho. <laughs> he says, I'm not letting you near my kids ever again. And I don't think I could have done that. I don't think I have the presence of mind and like the, just that aura of calmness that, that I could have done something like that and thought that out. And it's, it's, I try to think about that when I do these situations, but it is tough. So I thought I lost you there for a second. Nope. I'm here. (laughs) Right on. So, uh, what are you, uh, tell me about your books. Well, uh, tell me about your books here real quick and then we'll get you out of here. Okay, I'll, I want to talk about the current one, but then I want to drop a hint about the next one, the fifth one, because maybe you want to have me back for that one. Absolutely. The current book is uh, um, a Twilight of the American Experiment Without Moral Balance, Our Republic Will Fall. And what they refers to is the misbalance between the right and left, where the left controls the media and higher education and all those things, and they're imposing their ideology on the rest of us. And the conclusion of the book, of course, is we've got to reverse that process and bring the ideologies back into balance. The new book is called America's Counterfeit Democracy. And basically what it's about is that the whole country is controlled by elites and the people have no say in what the government's doing. Yeah, I don't think anybody can argue that. <laughs> yeah, man, we'll definitely have you on next time. Do you, do you, last question, do you think that podcasts are a step in the right direction into kind of balancing out this this media inequity? Yeah, I think, I mean, every conversation that happens that offsets what the left is doing is a positive thing. Um, I have to tell you, I think you're my seventh or eighth podcast now since I started, and they seem to be overwhelmingly conservative. I've noticed the, the same thing. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, like yeah. not not necessarily, I wouldn't say conservative all the time, but like 
common sense. Like it seems like everybody that I talk yeah. to on these are common sense. Like I don't get in a lot of arguments with people. I haven't gotten an argument on this podcast one time because I think like everybody's kind of in the same boat of like what is going on right now is immoral. It's wrong. It's unsustainable. Yeah. And like we can see that and see that there's change needs to happen. It needs to happen yeah. now. So I, I, I completely agree with you. And that's one of the like the bright spots of, of starting this podcast is meeting so many like-minded people who see the same issues as, and like we, we would disagree on a lot of things like coming into politics, but there's no need to like on the major things, we kind of all see the problems and see that there needs to be change. And I, I love that you're, you're putting your, your ideas down into books so they can exist forever. Yep. Yeah. It, but it's all about getting rid of the extremes. It's yeah. all about that because yeah. that's what got us here. I completely agree. And these these people in power right now who call themselves moderates, they're the extremists. People like us are, are the ones who are, are trying to calm this thing down and keep us on the rails. So thanks right. again for coming on. We'll definitely have yeah. you on again after your next right. book. Have a great day. You too. Right. See ya. Bye. Bye.